The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. It's good to be here with you guys this morning. And, uh, and Pete and I, we go, we go back. Um, he used to come to Push Ridge when I was there uh, in high school, and he would come and he would speak, and I always thought he was awesome. Uh, he's definitely the, the funniest pastor in Tucson that I know of. Uh, I can't go on the phone uh, with him longer than two minutes and not laugh. Uh, he's just a really funny guy. And uh, he was, uh, it's, it's crazy how integral his role is and where I'm at because he was the high school director at Catalina Fiddles Church and then uh, left and came here to start this church. And then my older brother took over as the high school director. And uh, I was actually a castist before then, but then I got plugged into Catalina Foothills Church because of my brother, and I figured he's my brother. I should go support him and be in his youth group. Uh, and then uh, slowly but surely made a relationship with uh, Andy Littleton, the middle school director there that's now at Midtown that was here. And uh, then I took over from middle school. And so it's just kind of cool to see how God works uh, in that. And so uh, I'm just really, really excited to be here this morning. And uh, and as I was talking to Pete this week, I, I asked him, you know, what is your church good at? What, what do you guys do well? And uh, one of the things that he said is that uh, we're not just good at greeting people the first time that they come and, and loving them and making them feel welcomed into our church. But uh, he's like, our congregation is really good at loving people uh, the next week and the week after that and connecting them into the community and helping them uh, in whatever way that they can and making sure that they feel loved. And so... Uh, I think that's, that's absolutely awesome. And so uh, what I wanted to talk to us today uh, is a very simple topic. I'm sure you guys have heard it a lot, but it's uh, to keep our eyes on the things above. Uh, and, and again, I, it's a concept that sounds really simple, but I think as I've gotten older, I've realized uh, how much harder it is to concern myself with the things above, the things that are happening with God, uh, because all I see is the things happening on the earth. And so... Uh, my goal for today is just to encourage you guys with the gospel. Uh, it's simply that. And so before we do, let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Dearly Father, I thank you for Holy Cross Church, and I thank you for Pete. Uh, I thank you for the elders and, uh, and those who make up this church. And God, uh, I just pray that we walk away encouraged today by your word. Uh, I pray that the, the words of Paul will resonate with us and that they will mean something to us, and that we will walk away affected by its truth. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So, if you want, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And if you don't have a Bible, then I believe it should be on the screen. Maybe, maybe not. Yes, it is. Okay, sweet. Um, Oh, I have 1 through 4. We're only going through 1 through 2. That's my fault. So, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So Paul writes this, and Paul says, uh, if you have been raised with Christ, if you call yourself a Christ follower, seek then, or uh, another word uh, in the Greek for that is um, seek or uh, seek or desire the things that are above. Seek or desire uh, the things of God. And, and I love these two verses because Paul has to repeat himself here uh, because he understands the human condition. He understands that, uh, he, that you have to not only say things once but multiple times. I, that's why I, I think 
you know, Paul probably did some work with middle schoolers. Uh, you, tell, you, you can't tell a student not to touch something once. Like, they're not going to listen. You have to say it repeatedly. And so I love this verse because I feel like uh, he is trying to hit home a really important point here. And what else is interesting here uh, is the different uh, verbiage that he has. In the first verse, he encourages us to seek the things or desire the things that are above. And then in the second passage, he says, uh, or he encourages us to set or direct our minds on the things above. So we're not only to desire, but desires to lead towards the action of actually setting our minds and setting our eyes, fixing our eyes on the things of God. And so why do we do that? Uh, We do that because that is where Christ is. Christ, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. We set our eyes on him because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we are to live and to emulate Jesus. And so what does this look like uh, lived out for us? Um, I'm of the age now where I don't have very many grandparents left. Actually, I only, I only have one grandparent left. Uh, her name's Grandma Lois, and Grandma Lois is awesome because uh, for as long as I've known her, she's been a really faithful follower of Christ. Uh, when her and my grandpa were in their mid-20s, they became Christians, and uh, they served in their local church for about seven years. And then after being there, uh, and after having their two daughters, my mom and my aunt, uh, they sold their house in the suburbs and they moved to the inner city where they did, uh, where they did missional work there in the inner city of Cincinnati. And so they did that for a while. And then after doing that for about five years, they felt called uh, to be here in Tucson. And what they did here in Tucson is that they worked with uh, Native American people who uh, you know, were, were down over, well, kind of close to over by I-10. Uh, and they spent their days and their life uh, helping these people and teaching them about the gospel. And they, uh, they had this huge van, so they would get people, uh, they would pick people up from their houses, they would drive them to church, uh, they'd drive them to small groups, they would drive them to uh, special events, special church events. And so uh, I've been blessed to have uh, a grandmother and a grandfather who uh, really emulate the Lord, who really show what it means to follow after Christ. And... Uh, and so, about 15 years ago, uh, it was right before 9-11, uh, my grandma and grandpa had been married for about 40 years. And like I said, just um, these in- together, just these incredible uh, figures of what it means to follow after Christ. And so, about 15 years ago, I was probably, I think I was 10 or 11. We were here in Tucson, and they lived in Ohio. They had moved back. And... Uh, one day, my grandpa came inside after working uh, a long day out in the yard, and he went downstairs to where my grandma was, and she was on the computer doing some work, uh, and he collapsed right there in front of her. And my grandma quickly ran to his aid and tried to uh, bring him back to life. Actually, I think she did. She brought him back uh, just for a couple of moments before he passed away. And so I can't imagine what it must have felt like to lose uh, somebody who had been your partner in life for over 40 years. I, you know, I, I just, I can't even imagine what that would look like. And so uh, a couple of years later, my grandma ended up retiring after my grandpa passed away. And uh, the truth is, is that my grandpa had multiple heart surgeries. So my grandma was the breadwinner for 25 years. So not only was 
Uh, not only did she give birth to my mom and my aunt, uh, she was the breadwinner. She uh, brought home the dough because my grandfather couldn't work because of all of his heart surgeries, because he was weak. So she had to take care of him. Uh, my grandma also had to take care of my aunt, my mom's sister, uh, because for the last 25 to 30 years, uh, she's been on again, off again, uh, prescription drug addict and also alcohol, uh, alcoholic. And so my grandma did all of that. And then she also, again, was just constantly in the church serving, constantly pouring into people's lives and just really being an example, again, as, as I said, of what it means to follow after Jesus. And so she retired. And, and to be honest, nobody would have blamed her if she would have just left Ohio, sold her house, and got her house on the beach because she had earned it. I mean, she really had. She had worked her entire life. And yet she felt God stir up in her something different, something new. And so she ended up selling her house in Ohio and moving down to Texas where uh, my mom's sister was, my aunt. Uh, And she continues to this day to take care of my two cousins uh, because my uncle works a lot and my aunt just isn't in the capacity to raise them. So my grandma's basically had to raise them. And this is out, this is, she's retired. Again, she could, she could move down here in, in Tucson and be with us and we would just love her to death. Uh, but she stays with that family. She continues to love and to help them and to support them, even though she's retired. Uh, and even though she's retired, uh, this is the, to me, this is the coolest thing that she does. Uh, she now, she lives in Katy, Texas, and she works with refugees, uh, legal immigrants who have moved from different parts of the country to Texas. Uh, they bring their families. They don't know English. Uh, they don't know about the Bible. Uh, a lot of them come uh, with a lot of different religious backgrounds. And so what my grandma and this uh, other uh, group of, of volunteers do is that they pour into these people's lives. Uh, they teach them English. They educate them. They give them shelter and food, uh, clothes for them and their children, teaching them Bible stories, all in the name of Christ. And so I don't share this story to really hold up Grandma Lois into a position that she's not supposed to be elevated to, but I tell this story because it's not about what she's doing, but rather what Christ is doing through her. And she's an example of someone who understands what Christ has done for her. And despite some of the trials she has faced, uh, she's an example of what it looks like to keep our eyes on Jesus. To not lose sight of the mission. To not lose sight of why we're here, what our purpose is as human beings. And so, uh, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I thought, okay, well, what does it look like There's Grandma Lois, who's a great example of what it means to keep our eyes on Jesus, but what is an example of someone who doesn't keep their eyes on Jesus? And so, automatically, my mind races to uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, which is uh, the story of Jesus walking on water. Because to me, I I can't think of that story without laughing. Uh, It's just kind of funny to me. Uh, For those of you that don't know about uh, the story of Jesus walking on water, Jesus was with his disciples, and uh, they had just gotten done talking to a crowd, and he tells the disciples, hey, uh, go into your boats and sort of sail off. Uh, I'm going to stay here in a desolate place, and I'm going to pray to my God. I'm going to have time with my Heavenly Father. So the disciples leave. They go out into the ocean, and uh, as soon as they start getting out into the ocean, the storm comes, and it's just destroying their boats, destroying them. They're they're all, you know, in a panic. They're all uh, in chaos, and 
And so uh, about the, I, said, I think it says about the fourth watch, which, is, which basically means they had been out there for nine hours fighting this storm. They'd been out there trying to, to fight through it, to try to get through. Uh, they're in a panic. They don't have Jesus to, you know, Jesus isn't on the boat to calm the storm this time. It's just them, so they're freaking out. And as this is all happening, one of them uh, notices that somebody's literally walking on water. And I'm like, among, among all the chaos, you look out onto the waters and you see somebody walking on the water. I think you're hallucinating. Uh, but that's just, that's, that's just me. That's what I think. And so they see somebody, they think it's a ghost. And so they panic even more, right? And they start freaking out. And soon enough, uh, Jesus gets close enough to where they can uh, hear him. And, and he says, uh, don't be afraid. Uh, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Which I always thought is kind of funny because I just, like, I do. I see Jesus kind of casually walking in the midst of this storm and saying, hey, no big deal. I'm just walking on water. Like, this is cool. Uh, and so, with fear and trembling, Peter steps forward after Jesus has said this, and he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Which, again, I'm like, Peter, I think you're hallucinating. <laughs> like, I would, in my mind, I'd be like, is it really Jesus? Uh, I think I'm just envisioning this. I'm just seeing this. Uh, so, so Peter takes a step of faith, and he gets out of the boat, and he begins to walk towards Jesus. And, and, and so he's walking towards Jesus, and you're kind of having like this, oh, this is such a cool story. Uh, and then something goes terribly wrong. Uh, Peter starts noticing the wind, which, again, I think is kind of a funny descriptor. He's walking on water. There's waves all around him, and he notices the wind. I, I'm sure it's like he notices the wind and the waves, but again, it's just kind of funny how it's described. Uh, so he notices the wind around him, and he starts to panic. He starts to freak out. He, he loses sight of where Jesus is. He loses sight of God. He's not paying attention to him. He's, he's so concerned with what's going on around him that he loses focus. And so he starts to sink. He starts to drown, and he says, Lord, save me. And so Jesus immediately reaches out his hand, and he grabs Peter as he's sinking. He pulls Peter back onto the boat, and Jesus saves Peter. And then he quickly rebukes him by saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so often as Christians, you know, the storms of life come our way, and we lose sight, we lose focus of Jesus. We forget that what we're doing, every, our existence is to honor and glorify him, to know him, and to spread his name and his gospel. And I think so often, especially in America, we get, so, we get so tied up in the facts and we get so tied up in what we need to do next that we forget that everything that we do is to honor and glorify God. And so Paul encourages, encourages the Colossians, but he's also encouraging us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in heaven. Paul knows that times will get hard, times will get rough, but he pleads to the Colossians and to us, not to take our eyes off him. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is Jesus, and he's got us. Much like he had Peter, he's got us. And we need to put our faith in him. Every summer, I get a glimpse of what it looks like to be a parent. Uh, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. I'm not married. I'm as single as can be. Uh, I'll probably die alone, but that's okay. I've got God. I've got God, so I'm good. But every summer, part of uh, my job is to take 25 to 30, um, 25 to 30 middle school leader, or I'm sorry, middle school kids to camp. And 
uh, I usually have about three or four leaders, but I'm responsible for these little chaotic souls. Like they are, they are, they are mine for that, you know, six days. And, uh, and so this last summer was a little different. I, I, by the way, I love camp because we go to camp, we go to somewhere like Forest Home, and they do all the programming for you. They put together the, the preaching and the worship and uh, the meals and all the games and stuff. Everything's so organized that you're just kind of like, I just get to be with my kids, which is awesome. Uh, but this last summer, we decided to sort of take on that burden ourselves, and we decided to go to another camp in California kind, called Pine Valley. And uh, me and uh, Tyler and Sarah Ells, Tyler, I believe, was here, and he spoke a little while ago. Uh, he's our high school director, and she's uh, our director of uh, uh, girls. She's our, well, she's our coordinator for uh, the junior high and high school girls. And, um, and also uh, Keegan Crow, who's my roommate and one of my best friends, and uh, and also Steve Johnson, and so we we spent months planning this thing, and it was I mean it was it was totally worth it. But it's you're, it's so stressful because you're like this is the first time that we're doing this. We've never done this before. What is a week long worth of programming look like? And so uh, this was this was really uh, new. This was really crazy for us. And uh, and you want the kids to have a good time. I mean that's really. That's, you want the kids to enjoy it and have the time of their lives. I think there's a song written about it. Um, Dirty Dancing. Yeah, I just quoted Dirty Dancing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you want, you want the kids to have a blast. And so uh, you get there. Uh, like you, okay, so you spend all, the, all these months planning, and then you get there, and the kids just let loose out of the, you know, out of the bus, and they're all hopped up on caffeine and candy that they bought that their parents don't know about. And uh, they're just crazy. And so everything you kind of planned just went out the door. You're just kind of like, okay, like, this is not going to go well. Um, and so uh, we get there, and we're there for about four or five days. And uh, towards the end of camp, if, if, if you've ever uh, led at camp, that third, fourth day, fifth day, you're barely hanging on. Like, it is just super stressful. It's super overwhelming. Like I said, for me, somebody who's not a parent, this is really stressful. I'm and uh, I am responsible for these little souls, and I'm just trying to make sure they're not going to do something dumb. Uh, but, but it's an incredible experience. And so towards the end of camp, uh, I was just getting a little frustrated. I was getting a little flustered because uh, the kids weren't necessarily engaging in the way that I would want them to. Uh, we, would have, we, had the, we brought this, uh, this speaker in San Diego, and he was really great, and uh, he was funny and a very dynamic speaker, and just, you know, the kids would be whispering to each other and, like, doodling on their papers and stuff. Uh, and I had fifth and sixth graders, by the way, so this is, like, <laughs> I'm not used to that. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the worship is going on, and the worship is awesome, uh, but they're just kind of standing there, you know, God's chosen frozen, just, just kind of looking up, looking everywhere, and, like, it's awkward. They don't really want to, like, raise their hands, or they don't really want to sing because they're insecure about their voices. But Towards the end of this camp experience, we did um, something that's called uh, Stations at the Cross. And it was really cool. It was, a, it, was, it was planned and it was organized. And we meant for it to be towards the end of camp because you tire them out only to get them, you know, to, like, be vulnerable and honest. And, and then, you know, they finally had that breaking point where they're not full of energy. And they're just kind of like, okay, I'm going to share with you now. So we planned it that way. And, and it was an incredible experience. Uh, some of the stations consisted of me washing my kids' feet 
which sounds gross, but honestly, it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, it was, I mean, I'm with fifth and sixth grade boys, and here they are. Their heads are bowed, and some of them are even praying, and you're washing their feet, and it's just really cool. And then there's another station where we'd take our popsicle sticks, and we would, you know, with a Sharpie, write our sins, and we were going to go and throw those into the fire, you know, kind of as a symbol of, like, Jesus forgives us. And uh, another thing that we did was... Um, you could write your leader for that week an encouraging letter. Uh, and that really blessed me because then I got to see, you know, all of their little letters and it really meant a lot. And uh, then another thing was is uh, you write down a prayer request and then an anonymous prayer request. You put it into uh, this little fence thing that we had and then you take one and you pray over it. So it's just this really cool experience. And, uh, and I was watching as my kids were participating in all of this and doing all of this. And for, for whatever reason, it was kind of like just God just said, okay, this is what it's about. Like, yeah, you might have been worried about the details. You might have been worried about the programming before, making sure none of your kids did anything silly or get into trouble or get into things they weren't supposed to. But this is, this is what it's about. And so for whatever reason, God opened my eyes to that, and it, and it made me realize, um, it made me realize this is, yeah, this is what it's about, kids being transformed by the gospel, and it's not about them having a good time or having the time of their lives or, you know, doing silly things, fun things, whatever. But it's about them encountering Jesus in a real way. And so nobody could have prepared me for what was going to happen next. So we had this Stations at the Cross, and it was awesome. It was just my kids, they get it. Like they're encountering the Lord. And then we did some worship, and they were raising their hands. And, you know, it's just one of those, like, oh, I don't deserve these type of moments. You're just kind of like, oh, thank you, God. And, uh, and so the, the night ends, and I'm heading back to um, my cabin. And uh, a lot of us, uh, all the kids, were encouraged to go to the campfire to worship and throw our sticks into the fire, you know, with all of our sins written on them. Uh, but I was walking back to my cabin for whatever reason, and I was going to get something. And one of my students came up next to me, and he just said, hey, can I, can I talk to you? And I was like, well, yeah, sure, of course. And, um, and so we went into the cabin, and uh, we sat down on one of the bunk beds, and and he, he started just talking to me, and he said, you know, it's like this is going to sound kind of weird, but um, I really miss my dad. And I said, well, buddy, I, I can't imagine, because uh, his dad five years ago had passed away from a brain tumor. He's uh, 11 years old. He only knew his dad for about six years. And so I was like, well, yeah, man, I, I can't even imagine. And so he's like, I know it's weird. I mean, he died so long ago, but... For whatever reason, now I just, I just feel like I, I'm just sad about that. And so we, we sat there, and he started crying. And I'm not good around crying, so I start crying. And I'm, we're sobbing, I mean, just, just crying. Uh, with, I have my arm around him, and, uh, and I just keep saying, you know, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like, you know, encouraging him, like, brother, I'm, I'm 24 years old. I still have my dad. I can't imagine what... I would, where I would be if I didn't have my dad right now at this moment. Like, I just can't even picture that. And so what was so awesome about that moment was not only did we get to, to, to grieve together, but it led to a conversation about heaven. It led to a conversation about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. It was, it was gospel healing in that moment. And it was, so, it was just so transcendent. It was so cool. And... Uh, and so I, I prayed for him, and, and he even prayed for me. I mean, this little sixth grader was like, I, I get done praying for him. He's like, can I pray for you? And I was like, yeah, sure, buddy. And, you know, he started praying for me, and I'm just like, man, this is, this is what it's about. 
like all throughout camp, my eyes were on the programming, on making sure my kids didn't do something ridiculous, and like all of these other things going on in my head, and then all of a sudden it snapped back into what I was supposed to be doing and where my eyes were supposed to be. My eyes were supposed to be on the Lord. Because God was at work not only through Josh, but God was working on me. And again, I was just placed into the situation. This is nothing that I did. It was a moment given to me by God. I was just a participant. And again, like I said, it made me realize how foolish I was for losing sight of why we were at camp and why we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. And I think what happens to us so often is that we lose focus and we begin to focus on things that are completely useless. Things that are uh, temporal. Things that don't last forever. Things that aren't everlasting or eternal. They're just, they're just in the moment. They're the details. We, we lose sight and we focus on the details. And so we easily... We get easily upset and we get easily frustrated because we're focusing on things that are eventually going to fade away and pass away rather than keeping our eyes on the eternal. But as followers of Jesus, we aren't keeping our eyes on something that's temporal. We're keeping our eyes on something that is eternal and everlasting. We, we set our eyes on the King. We set our eyes on Jesus. And so we must realize that like Peter, Jesus has saved us. It's nothing that we've done, but rather what Christ has done for us. And like Peter, without Jesus, we will sink into frustration, misery, and hopelessness. We must not become obsessed with the things of the earth. We must not set our gaze horizontally, but rather set our eyes vertically. We must think vertically, not horizontally. And so I think so often during this season of life, like I said, we lose sight of what's important, you know, Dad's going to work or mom's going to work for nine or ten hours a day, then having to come home and take care of their kids. Or maybe if you're a mother, stay at home with your kids. I mean, again, you're trying to make sure that they don't get into things they're not supposed to. Your mind is a million other places. And, and I think that we just lose sight of what's so important. It's just so easy for us as human beings to lose sight of Christ, to lose sight of why, why are we doing this? Why are we here? It's because Jesus has done the work for us. He He lived for us. He died for us. He was resurrected for us. And so we are to keep our eyes on him because the things of this world are passing away. And so I want to leave you guys here today uh, with the hope that you guys feel encouraged by the gospel this morning. I mean, God has done the work. Jesus has done the work. The Holy Spirit is doing the work in us. It's nothing that we are doing. And so as you guys go into this next season of life with school and with work and with family, uh, with your marriages, I just hope that you guys are encouraged and that to, to keep your eyes on the things above, the things that are eternal and everlasting, things that Satan can't touch. And so I want to uh, end this morning with this quote from A.W. Tozer, and it's from his book, The Pursuit of God, and I think it just summarizes everything that uh, Paul is saying. It says this, Faith is not a once-done act, but a continuous gaze at the triune God. So let me pray for you guys. And, and you guys, I think, are dismissed, or I think you have something else to say. Okay, uh, let's pray.